what is going in peeps what is going in it's valerie's naturals oracles and today i'm very excited because we're starting a new book and it's called yesterday i cried celebrating the lessons of living and loving and it's about by iyalna van zan i can never pronounce her name and she's the author the best-selling author of in the meantime which i've read to my patreon collective and one day my soul just opened up which i've also read that was the very first book i read to my patreons and it was like one day my soul just opened up it's 30 day, 40 days and 40 nights and it gives you a different subject every single day and the whole lot is on the patreon if you didn't know i've read so many books to my patreons now but let's get down to business so for the first chapter for the the beginning of this book the preface the introduction the beginning and the first chapter i will open up to everybody okay but after that you know you're gonna have to come to the patreon collective subscribe people you need to subscribe so anyway let's get on with it um so the very first there's quite a few chapters in it and it is a big thick book but it's all we're going to read it and it says dedicated to miss oprah winfrey for your holy boldness and willingness to demonstrate to the world how to heal in public without losing god's grace on your own dignity and to my children and it goes on it goes on the title the actual contents page is quite big and i don't know if i'm going to read it but there's about 19 chapters and then there's an epilogue okay so i'm going to start with the preface first of all so it says Dear Aya, yesterday I cried, will be a blessing to the world as you have been a blessing to me. I remember when I first heard your voice on tape, the National Black Holistic Health Retreat tape. I could not sit down. I started pacing. Was this because of the truth you were sharing? I thought so then, and as the years have passed, I know that it really was because I was hearing as a member of my soul family just like what I got on the Patreon. <laughs> when I met you in the flesh, I could see your um, uh, apprehension and your love. I remember how much you gave of yourself. Aya, you were so available to the women who were present. I felt very protected of you then and now. I did not want people to use you up or burn you out. I also remember how unconcerned you were about the money. It wasn't because you were financially set either. You set the basket of money in the sun, telling me it would grow. And the very next day, one of the women we were working with gave you a large sum of money. I remember all of the little notes you yourself on the walls in the bathroom near your bed, in your house on Pine Street. I remember how thirsty you were for truth and the clarity of truth. I remember all of our conversations, processing, laughing, cussing, crying, laughing and so much, so more. I found it absolutely incredible how you have moved through some very serious and heavy stuff with a sense of humour. Your humour is a gift. I want to say some things to you that you perhaps do not realise about yourself. You have really, really paid your dues. People don't know the risk you took to be where you are. The stable jobs you said not, no to so that you can remain free enough to walk on nothing absolutely nothing but faith you put your trust in the process i have been a witness to your acts of faith you are more focused than you realize people don't know how you opened your home to everyone and anyone and how you gave of yourself so unselfishly 
people don't know about the health challenges that presented themselves or how you said no to them align yourself for healing and found it people don't know the toll and the price you have paid traveling with the word in your belly what i have loved about you is your honesty even about your dishonesty i love that you have the tenacity to operate effectively in the world i have enjoyed the process of watching you grow and heal yourself and others i am so proud of you i feel that i am in a part of the process and of you when they speak of you i feel they talk about me too you have been a sister to me a friend a teacher a student and my baby i really believe i came into your life to love you unconditionally when you became famous i really missed our time you eating coffee ice cream and me subs but you stayed connected and i adjusted i was happy with you and for you for the way spirit was using you yet i felt the loss this was all a part of the process your process my process our process i have watched you reframe your history i have watched you take leaps i have watched you and it has been a joy i am loving you aya she ya, reverend linda stevens detroit michigan so that was interesting maybe that will we get more explanation as we go on so the introduction I am not the type of father figure that showed up when things started going well. When the child did or became something, someone a parent could be proud of. It had been my duty and honour to be a constant in Yolanda's life. Ours is a relationship born in our souls many centuries ago. It is a relationship that I have not always understood but always respected. Today, I realise that trying to define and describe my relationship with Yolanda, sorry, it's spelled it's spelled like this: A Y N L A, Ayanla, would be something akin to a television miniseries. She is, as I am sure you, her readers know, a mouthful. When I met her at the age of twelve, she was a handful. Some called her rambunctious and loose. I called her talented, creative, but ungilded and powerful. She was my younger sister's best friend and became a part of my family. At the time, I was her older brother. My task was to guide and protect her. I did so with such fever that my own sister became jealous. She did not realise or understand, as I did, that Yolanda was my child, born to others, but destined to be a part of my life forever. As a young woman, Yolanda was politically and culturally active and aware. She was a dancer and organiser. She and my sister started a dance group, which I managed between the hectic duties of my own life. In the early 1960s, African culture had not yet become fashionable. It was new, something that was questioned and scrutinised, yet it was a part of Yolanda's soul. When she moved to the drumbeat, she was amazing, and I was amazed. How did this young woman, born and raised in the United States, have such a feeling for the culture of her ancestors. Yelena did the research and the study required to embrace and understand what being a young African woman really meant. It was more than just an interest to her. It was an identity, something she needed. I supported her in her study and in the process I too learned. When most high school girls were chasing boys, Yelena was on the picket line. 
As a student leader, she ran the risk of being thrown out of high school and she challenged the authorities. The curriculum did not meet the needs of the students. There was no African studies. The teachers who have been engaged in a long strike were demanding that the students attend school for additional hours to make up for the time that they had lost. Adults who watched from the sidelines seemed not to know what to do. They talked but took no action, but I, I was not surprised to discover that Nyanda was on the committee of students that were making certain demands of the school system. I knew she was a leader. I knew she had a gift of gab. I was, however, quite surprised when my sister called to say that Leander was in jail as a result of a student protest. In the midst of it all, there was problems at home, problems Leander really spoke about, but problems she wore in her eyes. My role in her life changed. She needed a father and I was willing to fill the need. When she told me she was pregnant, I was, like my father, disappointed. I was concerned. This was a young girl who had really been cared for. In fact, never as far as I could see. Now she was faced with having to provide care of another human being. I watched her dance away through a pregnancy. I watched her plan and prepare for a baby. She never spoke to me about her fears on her pain or her pain. And I never raised the issue. When the baby was born, I realised it meant that I now had a son to raise. I think it was her fire that sustained Alona. She had always been ablaze. There was so much she wanted to know and do, and she was willing to work for it. It was that fire that enabled her to complete high school. It was that fire that kept her alive through dismal relationships. It was that fire that kept her eyes bright and her heart open as she lived through one abusive situation after another. It was Ayanla, spirit fire, that brought us to a point where there was little I could do for her or say to her I had to let her go. She had to walk a path that most fathers pray their daughters will avoid. I had to pray Yelena would survive. When I saw her again, she had three children, two exes and a college degree. When she announced to me that she's going to law school, I almost had a heart attack. How, I wondered, is she going to do that with three children and no help? But Ayanla had help and the help of invisible beings who walked by her side. She had always had my prayers and my love. She was earning my respect. I realised that Yelena was now a grown woman. Once again, my role in her life had changed. I was a mentor and a friend. I was the one person she knew believed in her, stood by her and supported and loved her. I had always been there and done that. I was not about to stop. Before I could figure out what to tell her, she had a law degree and was off in another direction in her life. I had never once told the woman you call Ayanla what to do or what not to do. I had always helped her question and explore why she was doing a particular thing in a particular way. She had always taken my words in, understanding them at a level well beyond her years. To say she is an old soul would be an understatement. She is an eternal soul, filled with a light that may seek, some try to buy and few ever realise. I have done my best to guide and protect her. It has not always been easy. Ayanna had been her own greatest challenge. She had a strong mind and an even stronger will. Ayanna had to try something before she would be willing to give it up and even then, she would want to know how or why it didn't work. It is the question and her willingness to try it 
that gives her the fire. It is the fire most people see, do not understand and cannot contend with. It is the fire that has kept her alive. I have never known this woman to do a mean or malicious thing. She has made mistakes. She has made poor choices. Yet, I know she has done everything in, her, in the best of her ability to or, in order to stay alive. The aliveness she sought was not in the physical world. It was the spiritual aliveness. She endured life circumstances others could not imagine and things the impact of which others could not understand. Through it all, she had been available to help others and share whatever she had. It is this about Elanda that had endured, endeared her to so many. I am among them. Many have not understood Ayala. They have questioned her motives, her authority, her wisdom. This is because of most of her life she did not understand herself. Others have been quite openly demonstrative of their disdain or dislike of her. Rather than crushing her, it sent her on a soul search. Quite frankly, I believe it has been the work of her greatest adversaries that has fostered her greatest growth. As her friend, I am excited by and supportive of what she is doing and all that I know she will do. As her mentor, I am proud of her accomplishments, knowing that something I have to offer has been useful in her life. As her father figure, I am humble and grateful that such a human being is a part of my life. The love we share goes beyond words of comprehension. It is, as she has told me, the, law, the love of God alive on the planet, and so it is. As what Ozin Kunle Indel. Is that Yolanda's father? Yolanda's father. Yolanda's father. Oh my God. See, I can't pronounce her name. Yolanda's father. That's her father. Anyway, here's a poem here and it's called Yesterday I Cried. Yesterday I cried. I came home, went straight to my room, sat on the edge of my bed, kicked off my shoes, unlocked my bra. I have myself a good cry. I'm telling you, I cried until my nose was running all over the silk blouse I got on sale. I cried until my ears were hot. I cried until my head was hurting so bad that I could hardly see the pile of soiled tissues laying on the floor at my feet. I want you to understand I have myself a really good cry yesterday. Yesterday I cried for all the days that I was too busy or too tired or too mad to cry. I cried for all the days that all the ways, all the times I had dishonoured, disrespected and disconnected myself from myself only to have it reflected back to me in the ways others did to me, the same things I have already done to myself. I cried for all the things I have done, only to have them stolen, for all the things I have asked for that has yet to show up, for all the things I have accomplished, only to give them away to people in, in circumstances, which left me feeling empty and battered and plain old used. I cried because there really does come a time when the only thing left for you to do is cry. Yesterday I cried. I cried because the little boy got left by their daddies and the little girls got forgotten by their mummies and daddies don't know what to do so they leave and mummies get left so they get mad. I cried because I had a little boy and because I was a little girl and because I was a mummy who didn't know what to do I be and because I wanted my daddy to be there for me so badly until I ate. Yesterday I cried. I cried because I hurt. I cried because I was hurt. I cried because hurt had no place to go, except deeper into the pain that caused it in the first place. And when it gets there, the hurt wakes you up. 
I cried because it was too late. I cried because it was time. I cried because my soul knew that I didn't didn't know. That my soul knew everything I needed to know. I cried a soulful cry yesterday and it hurt so good. It felt so very, very bad. In the midst of my crying, I felt my freedom coming because yesterday I cried with an agenda. So this beginning bit is called the beginning. It's a bit long and I don't know if I should read in this today or read it tomorrow because we go into chapter one tomorrow, which I will keep open. So chapter ones I always keep open. But OK, let's just read the beginning. OK, it was happening. I have seen myself on television before, but not like this. I had never been on a mainstream national television show until now. This was special. This was big. This was the accumulation of 16 years of hard work or three years of waiting for a producer to get back to me and an entire day of filming. The results, one 12-minute segment about my life and my work on CBS Sunday morning. It felt great. Definitely something to celebrate. Instead of throwing a party, I felt awful, dishonest, like a fraud. I guess that's what I, why I began to cry at the music as the music began, heralding the start of the programme. Those tears were quite different from the tears I cried the day the segment was filmed. Throughout our many experiences of life, we cry different kinds of tears. What we are probably not aware of is that each type of tear in a, animates from a specific place in the body and that every type has certain distinct characteristics. We may realise that shedding tears at certain times will have a particular effort upon us and those around us. What we are probably less conscious of is that each tear, regardless of its origin or its effect, contains a seed of healing. Angry tears spill forth from the outer corner of the eyes, making them easier to wipe away as they come as unexpected moments of inappropriate times. They originate in the ego, the part of our being that presents to the world who we think we are. Angry tears create heat and stiffness in the body because when we are angry, we usually don't know how to express what we feel. We definitely don't want anyone to know where we are angry because anger is not acceptable or polite. Rather than display anger, we hold back and the tears rage forth, shattering our self-image. More important, anger tears reveal to those around us how our vulnerabilities. This, we believe, is not a wise thing to do. I cried angry tears the day the CBS film crew came to my home. I had just moved into a new home. I had a very little furniture to fill the empty spaces in my large home. The garage was full of boxes, one of which contained the outfit I had planned to wear. It was an unmarked box that I could not find. I was also angry because my new mother-in-law was on her way to our house and I had no place for her to sleep. What should be? Th what would she think of me? I thought I was angry because I had waited so many years for the segment to be filmed and now that it was happening, I didn't feel ready. I realised that I was angry because I didn't have the courage to tell the segment producer or my manager that I wasn't ready to film the show. I wasn't ready because I didn't feel worthy. I cried because one of my favourite new correspondents was coming to my empty home two days before Thanksgiving and I couldn't locate four plates that matched. What would he think of me? I was angry because I felt so vulnerable, so exposed and so inadequate. I was angry because I felt so powerless and that made me sad. Sad tears spilled forth from the inside corner of the eye, finding their way across our nose, cheeks and lips.
for some reason, we always lick sad tears. We know that they are salty and the things that bring them forth are usually the bitter experiences in life. Sad tears come from the heart. They usually bring a bending of the shoulders and a drooping of the head. When you are about to be interviewed for a national television program, you must hold your head up. You must wear mascara. It is hard to put your mascara on when you are drooping and crying. I had found something to wear. It wasn't what I wanted to wear, but it would do. So now I was crying because of the incredible experience of sadness that I felt in my heart. I had worked long and hard to get to this day, this 12 minute on CBS. There had been many hard times and many hard lessons. Weathering it all, my work had moved forward. My life had certainly moved ahead. In my heart, I knew that moving ahead was me, was mean leaving certain things, would mean leaving certain things and certain people behind. I knew that this level of exposure would mean advancing to another level. It was not one's fault. It was simply about time. Life had a way of doing this to you and for you. Life will propel you into situations where the things that once worked no longer work. Time passing, carrying things or people out of our lives as it brings new things and people into our lives makes us sad. And it has always made us sad. I also knew that once the segment of Sunday morning aired, if I had not made certain decisions, they would be made for me. That was frightening. Frightened tears take up the entire eye. Clouding our vision, our fear will do. As fear will do. When we are frightened, we cannot see or think. Frightened tears are usually big tears that well up in the eye. They spill over the whole face. Frightened tears come from the soles of the feet. They shoot through the body and create trembling or shaking. I was scared to death that I would be found out. People would find out that I was frightened, angry and sad. When you arrive at a certain station in life, people do not expect that you'll experience certain emotions. People believe you are above all that and they tell you so. That is simply not true. All teachers must learn. All healers must be healed. And your teachings, healing's work, does not stop while you're learning. Healing process continues. In fact, healing in public is an awesome task that requires you to lovingly point out the defects of others while you are healing your own. I had no idea what I would be asked during the interview. This was, after all, the award-winning CBS Sunday Morning. They could ask me anything about anything and I would be obliged to respond. What if I was asked about something that I had not yet healed? Suppose I couldn't get my mouth open to respond. What would people think if I was asked a question on national television about the little challenge I was now facing in my own life? And what if I got angry or frightened when millions of people watching me? What would they know? Would they know? How would I live with that? What would people think about me? I don't have time to figure anything, any of this out. I had to get dressed. I had to be interviewed. Then there are shame-filled tears, which fall when we are alone. With our thoughts and feelings, shame-filled tears come with very judging, uh, with we're, when we're judging ourselves, criticizing ourselves, or beating up on ourselves for something purely human that we have done yet can't explain to ourselves or to others. Shame-filled tears come from the pit of the stomach and usually cause us to bend over, not in pain, but in anguish. 
There I stood about to experience something that many people in my position would sell their two front teeth to experience. And I didn't feel ready or worthy. There I stood about to realize a dream come true and I was so ashamed of myself I couldn't get dressed. I was afraid, ashamed and furious with myself that I had not yet mustered up the strength to confront a personal challenge. It had nothing to do with money. It was not about a relationship, thank goodness. Those two areas of my life are finally in order. This was about me, me the big time best-selling author. I was ashamed that I had come so far only to get stuck on something so small, so trivial. But was it trivial? You cannot trivialize the need to do for your own well-being something that you know will upset someone you care about. It is not easy or trivial to say to someone, I love you, but I must leave you. It is no small feat to try to wipe running mascara from your cheeks after you have put on your foundation and powder. Talk about PMS, the poor me syndrome, was making it impossible for me to get my face together and the film crew had just entered my half-empty house. Combination tears are the worst tears of all. They are filled with anger and sadness with fear and shame. They have a devastating effect on the body, bringing the stiffness of anger, the drooping of sadness and the trembling of fear and the bending of shame. They make you cold when you are hot. They make you tremble when you are trying to keep still. Most of all, they make you nauseated. Suppose I threw up in the middle of the interview. Oh, great. My imagination had just taken a turn for the worst. I was standing in front of the mirror, terrorising myself feeling unworthy, feeling afraid and being mad at myself for all that I was feeling. I would have slapped myself, but that would have made my eyes run again. Instead, my angel showed up at the bathroom door. My husband, Adam Yami, had come to tell me that the film crew was waiting for me. As soon as he saw the redness in my eyes, he stretched his long arms out towards me so that I could fall into them. I did, and I cried all over his clean white shirt. Come on now, don't be nervous. This is not, no different from anything else you've done. You can do this with your eyes closed. Closed, yes, smeared with mascara, no. I would have to start all over again. This is exactly how I felt about my life. It seems to me that on what should have been one of the happiest days I've ever known, I kept arriving at the place where I had to start all over, and it pissed me off. The interview went smoothly. I did not shed a single tear. Terence Wood, the CBS correspondent and interviewer, along with the camera person and the producer, can, can commented on my home. It was, they said, beautiful and peaceful. No one believed we had just moved in. No one seemed to notice or care that we did not have what I thought was the appropriate amount of furniture in the appropriate rooms. Why do we subject ourselves to the hysteria of expecting the worst? I guess it is part of our nature as human beings. I also believe it is the natural outgrowth of proposing the inevitable. You can put off what you need to do, but the longer you put it off, the more hysteria and conflict you experience. The more tears will be shed. The more anger, sadness and fear you will create in your own mind. I have something unpleasant to do that I have resisted doing. I have put it off long enough. Now it and I were about to show up on national television. I knew that the moment the show was over and I would have to go upstairs and cry in my favourite place, the jacuzzi. Oh, wow. Of all things to master, why did I have to pick tears? 
I learned about tears and through tears. I haven't figured out whether it's a blessing or a curse that I can assess the tearful experience of a person. With a breath, I can feel in my own body what that person is going through. I can process other th through others through their tears with words and thoughts and images. I have come to the place and point in my life where I now had to do the same for myself. I had to go get beyond my own tears to the core of the issue. I knew it was my core issue, my subconscious pattern that was making it so difficult for me to fire my manager. Wow. After all, I had experience and learned I had to revisit my own past, which was filled with bitter tears in order to move into the future. I would have to live through the present, knowing that millions of people would be watching me on television. People who did not know that I could not find the strength to do for myself what I thought I needed to do. It was this feeling that made me feel like a fraud, a fraud about to be found out. The show had begun with the segment featuring me. Charles Osgood, the host of Sunday Morning, was talking about me. He was telling the world about all the books I'd written, how many, many I'd been sold. He was revealing to the world how I'd propelled myself from poverty in the projects in Brooklyn, New York, onto the stage of the world-famous Apollo Theatre. My husband squeezed my hand. My children beamed with pride. The dog was chewing on the leg of the sofa. It could have been a time of joyous celebration. Instead, I was trying to discern what type of tears were about to spill forth from my eyes and across my face, realising that whatever the type, what everyone in the room would misinterpret their meaning. Everyone that is except me. How much pain and shame and fear and anger can one body stand? That's a good question, I thought. How much pain can one body stand? I, like many people, have stood years and years, countless years of pain. We have held on to our, our mother's pain and the pain of our fathers, not knowing what it was or how to get rid of it. We have held on to our children's pain, our lover's pain, and most of all, onto the pain of those who stood closest to us. Sometimes we're able to cry through the pain. Sometimes we stomp through the pain. Sometimes we move through the pain in fear and in anger without the strength to cry. When we do find our strength again, we move on to the next thing without taking a moment to breathe or celebrate. It is the tears that have got us through the darkest days and the, and the hardest times. Many of us have been able to float on our tears to a new and better understanding of ourselves and the things we have experienced in life. Through our tears, we get in touch with those experiences that we have forgotten, hidden or buried away in the pit of our souls. So one Sunday morning, I sat crying again. I sat crying because my soul and my life was being shown on television and I, the guru of faith and hope, wasn't sure it was a true picture. The unshed tears of our many experiences colour the cloud up, colour and cloud our thoughts. As we try to move forward without allowing the tears to flow freely, we find ourselves repeatedly in similar experiences. I was sitting in that place, a familiar place, a frightened, sad and angry place. I was trying to suppress the tears of the things I have said and had not said. Tears of of things I have done and not needed to undo. Unshed tears get caught in our throats, making it hard for us to speak our truth and honestly express, and honestly express who we are as we move through life. My life was moving, and if I did not find the courage and strength to speak, I knew I would choke out 
any possibility of the new life about to be born through me. I cried many tears for myself and in the work I do for the other people. What I discovered is that most tears come from an inability to tell our story. One of my teachers once told me, tell your story. Your story will heal you and it will heal someone else. My story is full of tears, sad tears, shameful tears, angry tears, and of late, tears of joy. Watching myself on television, I realised that my story and my tears were not uncommon. Being a best-selling author does not make me uncommon or different. I am still human. I still cry when I am faced with the uncomfortable or the unpleasant. I still cry when I think about the sad parts of my story. I cry when I am angry or shamed. Sitting, my, sitting in my own home, surrounded by my loving husband and family, was reason enough to celebrate and I still needed to cry. I wasn't crying because I had been able to move through my experiences, telling my story in a way that supports and facilitates the healing of other people. I was crying because I had ignored the need to celebrate that fact. Yesterday, I cried because the story was so tragic, so devastating and painful that all I could do was cry. On this Sunday morning, I was crying because I realised that I still had work to do. Even though I had made it, I still had healing work to do. I discovered the need not only to tell our story, but also to cry at the appropriate episodes. There are the times when we were unable to cry. Unable to speak, unable to express ourselves, unable to lift ourselves up. In those times, we need someone else to cry for us. Crying for others and myself had led me to the belief that certain aspects of my story must be told. If I am truly to heal myself and help others in the process, I must tell the parts I am uncomfortable about telling. Not because my story is different or unique, but because I have been blessed to be able to cry myself for a day and, and a time when joyful tears spring forth from the heart and allow me to stand straight. Joyful tears move up the spine and across the brain and bring you to a new perspective and a new understanding that sad tears was necessary that each tear was a prayer that tomorrow will better will be better than today <clears throat> joyful tears free you up to celebrate yourself your healing and your progressive process my story is not so much a story of the things that I have been through and done but the things that I have grown through the things that i have learned and the things that now I now understand. My story is what some would call a triumph of spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. Others would call it a victory of good, goodness over evil. I just call it a story. And I tell it because I have learned that the telling helps me continue healing. Tell my story gives me something to celebrate. Do you know what, people? I'm sorry. I'm going to have to leave it there. Because that is really long. And I'm going to continue on tomorrow. But just know that um i don't know if i should carry on because there's only a couple of pages left but i'm gonna stop here because my throat is getting dry and i don't want to be coughing through it so i'm gonna leave it there continue on with the beginning chapter because it's only a couple of pages and then i'm gonna read most of the chapter one tomorrow and i'm gonna open it up to everybody so everybody can hear it and then understand what the book is about and then we can proceed from there so until tomorrow take care